You're listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, Episode 87. Welcome to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, where we explore public health epidemiology careers and share tips and strategies to help you enter or transition into the field. And now your host, Dr. Charlotte Hughes-Huntley. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining me on this episode. I'm delighted to introduce you to my special guest, Rosalie Aguilar. Rosalie is the National Project Coordinator for Salute America, which is a Latino-focused organization that creates culturally relevant and research-based stories, videos, and tools that inspire people to start and support healthy changes to policies, systems, and environments where Latino children and families can equitably live and learn and play and, and work. So the content created and distributed by Salute America reaches over 250,000 moms and dads, providers, researchers, community leaders, and school personnel who are interested in working to push for healthy changes in schools and build you know, equity for Latino and all children. So I first met Rosalie when she reached out to me and asked me to co-host a tweet chat with Salute America. Now, this is a weekly event that focuses on a variety of topics that align with the organization's focus. It's really held totally on Twitter's platform, and it's every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central Time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and it uses the hashtag SaludeTues, which is S-A-L-U-D. T-U-E-S. And I'll provide links to this in the show notes. And, and I really encourage you to join in and follow the conversations there. So the event that I co-hosted along with the American Heart Association of Minnesota and a few other organizations, um, that particular event that I co-hosted was titled The Impact of Sugar and Healthier Alternatives. And the timing of that particular event was aligned with a podcast episode that I, I had just published. It was episode number 53. It was an interview with Karen Atkins regarding International Quit Soda Day. And in that episode, Karen discussed the negative impacts of soda and sugary drinks among children in Mexico. If you haven't heard that episode, then I really encourage you to, to scroll back and, and listen to that. Now, I really enjoyed that experience, and I really appreciated Rosalie for reaching out to me. And when I invited her to be a guest on my podcast, she really was excited. She was equally excited um, to have the opportunity to be on my show. So now I knew that it was going to be a very interesting interview just simply because of what I had experienced with Salute America and just having her come on to discuss that. However, I didn't expect her personal journey into public health to be so rich and full of experience and passions and insights. So I am very excited to share that interview with all of you. But before we jump in, I'd like to take a moment to share a recent five-star review of the podcast from iTunes. It's entitled, Great Resource of Public Health Information, and it's by Ardandia. And she wrote, I greatly enjoy listening and learning from this podcast as it focuses on different topics of interest related to public health. The interviews are thorough discussions with field leaders, uh, which make this a great resource for sharing public health knowledge and information. 
Ardandia, thank you so much for taking the time to write this review. Not only does it help our show rank higher on the charts, which helps more people find the show and decide whether or not to listen in, but it really brightens my day and it encourages me to continue to put forth the effort to produce these shows. Although I absolutely love podcasting, you know, I absolutely love producing these episodes for you guys. It definitely requires a lot of time and commitment and effort to consistently put the show together. So when someone takes the time to write a favorable review like this, it really makes my day. So thanks again, Ardandy. I really appreciate that. All right, everyone, let's join the interview with Rosalie so that you can hear all about her journey into public health and salute America. So today I am very excited to welcome to the podcast, Rosalie Aguilar. So Rosalie, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, yes. I am very excited about this particular interview. I did describe a little bit of your background and and our connection in the introduction, but if you would, in your own words, just summarize your background and and talk a bit about the work you've done previously and what you're doing now. Yes, of course. So um, just to share a little bit about my background, I originally grew up along the Texas-Mexico border in Laredo, Texas. And of course, in a border town, things are a little different from other communities. Um, I think there's just a different culture. There's a merging of cultures altogether. The city itself is a really interesting culture. And altogether, I think, you know, you see a lot of needs. You see needs in health, needs in education, um, different disparities that you're constantly being made aware of in in a community like this. And so um, while living in Laredo, I was fortunate to have the opportunity during um, high school to attend the health science magnet program. And I think, I mean, very early on, I knew I was interested in health and that I wanted to help people. I wanted to help those individuals that I could see were clearly in lack of healthcare access. And so, you know, I thought at the time, perhaps maybe I'd pursue a career in medicine or in pharmacy, something in the health professions. And I think so early on, I knew my interest was in health. But somehow, during that time, I ended up, after graduating from high school, pursuing a degree in marketing and in finance. So not quite what you might expect. (laughs) But at the time, you know, I think I was very torn. I, I didn't know as a new high school graduate what area to pursue. And on the one hand, my family was encouraging me to pursue something business related, something that they thought might be a little bit more of a practical degree. I don't think they knew exactly what one might be able to do with like a bachelor's in some kind of a science field. My school definitely didn't offer at the time anything in public health. So I didn't even know what that was. And I think, um, you know, of course, they wanted me to have something practical, something pragmatic. And so, of course, I thought, well, why not? Let's try this out. Let's try some business courses out and see where that takes me. Um, so I, I went through I went through the four years and quickly realized, you know, I, I don't want to end up just working for a big corporation or sure, there's, I think, certain aspects of business that, that I found very interesting at the time. I remember seeing and learning about microfinance and how um, communities in third world countries were providing opportunities to women so that they can kind of um, grow and have an opportunity to provide for their family. And so, so all of this kind of, I mean, I don't think I realized it at the time, but it really 
sort of, you know, opened my eyes and led me to really want to explore how I can continue to um, do something that would help my community, but also um, have an impact on health. And so rather than going and pursuing an MBA at the time, which would have been probably the next logical step, I ended up back in (laughs) community college. And so after my bachelor's degree, you know, ended up doing um, some basic science courses. And during that time, decided, you know, I'm I really don't know what's going to happen. I I thought for a while I might pursue something in the clinical field, PA school perhaps, or physical therapy in the health profession. And um, during that time, I found a program in health and kinesiology. And this is a master's degree. I thought, well, you know, the curriculum seemed to really fall in line with what I was interested in, some human physiology combined with community health. So so why not try this out? And sure enough, I was fortunate enough to get into the program and be hired as a research assistant at the time. So that's what really, I would say, cemented my interest in research and the health disparities that we see in our community working to, to take action and to actually conduct research that was meaningful to the community and with the community. And so from that point on, you know, I was really fortunate to take that chance and enter this program, which it wasn't specifically in public health. It wasn't an MPH program, but it was geared towards public health sciences. The whole focus of it really was that. And that ultimately led me on the path that I'm at now, which is at the moment I am pursuing a PhD in translational science from um, UT Health San Antonio. So so it's really kind of funny because it's not always a very straight path. For me, it certainly hasn't been, but I can definitely say that along the way, I've been met with different opportunities and all throughout that. It's it's been really very much of a blessing to encounter people who are doing this type of work to address health disparities among Latinos and working to provide educational opportunities to students from minority backgrounds. And, and really introducing more people to the field of public health, which has been really exciting. In my current role, I am a project coordinator for a program called Salud America. And we are a national level project that is working to inspire community change for um, the health of Latino kids and families and the health for all. So we're really working hard to promote health equity through environmental and policy change and and solutions that can be implemented to create a change in the systems and and the way that our communities are shaped. And as a public health practitioner, I think you notice very early on that you can provide access to services or, you know, even if a patient has, might have the ability to have access, it's really the way their community or their environment is shaped, that's ultimately going to really have a large, large impact on their health, more so even than, than sometimes having access to health care services. So it's, it's a very interesting, I think, time and interesting to see what the science and the literature is showing on these fundamental roots of disparities that we're seeing, social determinants of health, as many would call it. And I'm excited to be able to be a part of that. Um, with Salute America, I've been there now for six years. And I originally started as a content curator for the program. So straight out of my master's degree, I was 
looking for jobs. I didn't really quite know what, what was out there. That was, I think that's always a hard time when, when you're, when you're finishing up your bachelor's degree or your master's degree. And um, I mean, of course, that's where networking, I think, really, really makes all the difference for many people. But I was very fortunate that um, during my master's program, I participated in a training that was actually a um, cancer prevention or cancer leadership training institute funded through the National Cancer Institute, CNCI. And it's a week-long program, which I can tell you a little bit more about that later, but I participated in that and through that program met several individuals in the public health field. And that's really what led me to Salute America. I think that's a great path. I mean, I think so many people that I've interviewed with the podcast, and I know myself included, there's a very indirect route to public health, you know, from like you mentioned, some people are really exposed or aware of what public health is early on in their education when they're starting out and you have an idea of what you like, you know, you John the health and, you know, a lot of people start out saying, okay, well, I want to be a doctor, a medical doctor. And they start kind of exploring that path. But I think it's really a common thing to have a very indirect route to, you know, public health. So the idea, um, your explanation and your journey into this field is, um, it's very interesting. And I think it's great that you're able to, in the work that you're doing now, I mean, you're really combining your marketing business background and your research interests and your work and, and what you understand in public health. You're really applying that in your role now. And I think that's really great. I'm curious about, although I'm, I'm hearing almost from the beginning as, I mean, just their understanding of the community as a young child, you really had early exposure to public health, but when would you say that you really became interested in public health? You know, like what particularly triggered your interest? Sure. You know, it's kind of funny because as you mentioned, yes, I think since early on in childhood, one thing that really sort of pushed me into wanting to find those solutions to help a community out was hearing very early on what my grandfather, he spent a lot of time in Mexico. He lived most of his life in Mexico. And, um, some of the work that he did actually had to do with um, water treatment. And, you know, he would talk a lot about just the need to provide safe and clean drinking water to people because this is just kind of like the basis of life almost or, or, you know, something very basic that a lot of people would, you know, if they didn't have clean water, they could actually die from that. So I think that very early on clicked with me and made me really just want to find more solutions, understand why, you know, how can we, how can we create a system to improve access to, to something like that? And so, um, so I think that was, you know, very early on during childhood. But then later on, as I finished up my bachelor's degree, I was able to take a trip to China with, with a group of students from my university. We did like a study abroad program, two-week trip. And, you know, I, I noticed that the people seemed very vibrant and a lot of people were out in their parks. People were out enjoying nature and enjoying community and playing games. And even, you know, a lot of the older retired looking, um, it, well, the individuals that, that looked like they're a little bit older in age, they were out there, they were playing hacky sack with other friends. They were doing Tai Chi out in the parks. And, you know, I think that really kind of, it was interesting to see that because I thought, you know, why why don't we see as much of that in the U.S.? 
elsewhere, or at least in my own community, I don't see a lot of people out there. And of course, I'm sure a number uh, a number of reasons can come up. People can say, oh, well, you know, it's too hot in South Texas or, or you know, things like that. I know that those type of things always <laughs> come up. But, right. but, but overall, you know, I thought it was really nice to see people being active at that age and not suffering because one thing with the Latino community is, and you hear this a lot, is a lot of that we live, we have a usually a higher life expectancy. There tends to be just, we live longer. But unfortunately, a lot of times, despite that living longer years, many individuals are, are, are sick. And, you know, there's a high concentration of, of diabetes. There's several chronic diseases. And that's obviously not a very good quality of life to have if you're living um, living like that. So I started thinking more on the prevention side started thinking, you know, well, what can we do to actually promote healthy lifestyles? And I, at that time, um, around the time I was applying to my master's program, that, that was something that I actually included in my personal statement. And I think that maybe to some degree that even directly reached the person that ended up inviting me to become a research assistant. I think he was very curious to read that in my personal statement and interested in working with me because I think he, he could see that that interest that I had in working with the community. So, so during my time at UTSA, I was fortunate, um, UTSA is the, the university I attended for my master's program. I was fortunate to work with Dr. Zinong Yin. He's very well known in childhood obesity prevention research and diabetes prevention. And he was doing a number of projects leading um, one of the projects, Mi Casa, was related to diabetes prevention among Mexican-American women. And so through that project, I was able to actually go out onto the west side of San Antonio, which is a pretty underserved area in the city. Um, and, and we worked with community health workers or um, promotoras, which is what we call them. These are typically bilingual, bicultural community health workers who we worked with them to train them so that they could be kind of that point of um, connection and that they could offer healthy lifestyle interventions to that community. So so it was a very interesting study. Um, It was a lot of fun, actually, Um, (laughs) you know, really working and and teaching them culturally relevant exercises, you know, bringing things like Zumba or dance into the community, bringing in um, healthier meals and ideas for recipes and teaching them, but then having the community health workers directly interacting with people from their own community um, really makes a big difference. And so that's that kind of what that project was focused on. And a couple of other projects that I was involved in at the time, um, there was another great project called Building a Healthy Temple, which was a uh, faith-based initiative. So very similar in that it was a healthy lifestyle intervention, but it was delivered through different um, churches, churches of different denominations, and really kind of um, working with the leadership of that church, of those churches, to invite the members and then congregants to be healthier, to take care of their bodies, and um, and kind of incorporate that into the practices that they were that they were teaching on spirituality, but also kind of combining that physical health with the spiritual and mental health aspects. And so that was a really nice project as well. Um, and then the last project that I also had a, an opportunity to participate in as a student was the uh, Miranos project, which was um, in English, we translate it to look at us, we're healthy. And this was really neat too, because it was an intervention delivered at different Head Start centers. And so 
you know, this Head Start centers reach a lot of children under the age of five years old. And so there's really that opportunity to create a healthy environment and teach children very early on healthy habits. And so, so that was very interesting, too, to see how um, how children can be impacted um, through just bringing a new curriculum, making that available to the teachers who work at Head Start centers. And, and now I think more and more, even all these years later, we're starting to see a lot going on in terms of policy solutions at the national level. And I know a lot of people that I work with today that, that um, I participate in different groups and networks that, that we have for discussing solutions. You know, people are looking at how can we continue to improve the environment for the children, but not just the children, even the teachers who teach at Head Start Centers, because a lot of times um, they're also encountering a lot of economic issues and, and they can also benefit from having access to healthier food options. And there's a lot of interesting work happening at a systems level. Absolutely. This is great. I am familiar a little bit with building a healthy temple. I believe there is a toolkit that provides insights into helping community specific. So there's like African-American community churches and then maybe Latino American and Asian American. I think there's um, there are toolkits that can help you with the program in the specific communities that you're serving. This is great experience. And how did you, I'm sure you enjoyed the opportunities, but um, do you know if, if these programs, initiatives are still in place in action? Yeah, you know, I haven't really been in direct contact lately with my mentors who pretty much started up these programs. But for the most part, I believe they're still um, carrying out some of the research projects that they've started earlier on. This was back maybe like in, in 2012. So it's been a few years now, but I believe they're still, you know, they're, they continue to build upon the work and the research that they've already started. So as I mentioned with um, Nos, for instance, I know that when I was a part of that, we were very much focused on teaching lifestyle, healthy lifestyle behaviors, bringing, um, you know, food samples to the children, having them taste different fruits and vegetables, and then, you know, measuring their physical activity levels and kind of monitoring that. And the research was very focused at kind of an individual level behavioral changes. But now what I've seen is now we're working towards actual systems level changes. So we're seeing trying to get these programs to become part of institutionalized, part of um, Head Start centers. And it's a challenge because they think every state, even though Head Start is kind of available at a national level and there's federal, I believe there's federal funding behind that, each state seems to have its own different challenges and different ways that they, they spend money and different policies and practice. So now that I think the big research question is trying to figure out how do you make this available, you know, to children all across the country. And it's, it's not always as easy as just saying, okay, at the federal level, we're going to do this. But a lot of it is, is talking to the policymakers and um, really working to promote sort of a demand and an action at, um, at a more fundamental grassroots level. And so there's a lot of interesting, I think, work still happening around that. But as you mentioned, building a healthy temple, I know there's um, different curriculums out there. There's reaching different groups 
and, and targeting. Initially, it started with African-American churches where they were doing these types of healthy lifestyle interventions. And I believe the project that I was a part of was an adaptation of those initial interventions. So, so it's really neat to see this level of, you know, for me, that's um, when I talk about translational science, that's kind of my area because translational science is, is a broad a very broad thing. <laughs> and so being a translational science student right now, um, you know, that's the kind of, of area of um, translational research that really interests me quite a lot because it's taking something, even even though, you know, you think you have the solution, it's not always as simple as, okay, here, give this to the community because that doesn't always work for, for everybody. You know, you can't just have a, a general approach that, that'll right. reach everybody. So Thankfully, I think um, we're seeing a lot of initiatives and I think um, community, even once the project or funding is towards the end of, of a research grant, I think um, a lot of these projects are finding ways to be sustainable, you know, giving ownership to the community and, and having the community members find ways to sustain this. And tell me about the program Exito. Yes. So, I think earlier on, I did mention that during my master's program, um, I was very fortunate to be part of a cancer leadership training. So, um, so the, the program itself is called Exito, and it was just such a wonderful program. Very, very much, I know, for a lot of students who I've spoken with who've been a part of the program, everyone has mentioned that, that you know, it's been life-changing for them, that they've um, now have the confidence to pursue a doctoral degree. And I think that's something very, very much needed that we don't always, you know, we don't always have role models, you know, coming from minority backgrounds or smaller communities. We don't always see people of color that we can look up to who've pursued a career in public health or a career in cancer research. And so, so it's a program focused on helping primarily Latino students or anyone interested in working with Latino populations, helping them understand and discover the opportunities that exist in um, a cancer research career. So it's a wonderful week-long training where you're exposed to kind of the need and understanding the disparities that exist in, in the Latino community with regard to different cancers. And then along with that, throughout the week, you participate in different activities, you network, you meet a lot of other individuals in the same situation that you're in, um, kind of contemplating whether this is kind of the next step that you want to take in your in your career, pursuing that doctoral degree. You learn about the need and um, the difference that it makes to the community to have to just boost, even just boosting the number of individuals and minorities with doctoral degrees can really just have a very, I think, strong impact. And, and that's, I think, one of the main goals of Exito. Along with that, we also hear from, from different role models, from people who went through many of the same situations that we went through while, while they were students. And um, they talk, uh, a lot of the researchers uh, or presenters who go to Exito and speak are you know, they share their stories. And so you get to hear firsthand the challenges, the struggles that they went through and how they overcame it and how, you know, you see now the success that they're having as researchers, how um, how they're doing some incredible work. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, I think ultimately when it comes down to making decisions like this, whether this is the right path um, 
what we've seen is a lot of it is just having the self-efficacy or the confidence to pursue um, a higher degree or a doctoral degree. And and when you know that you have a support system in place, that you have a network of, of individuals um, that you can talk to going through the same thing, when you know that others have gone through the same exact thing and, and they've made it through. And, you know, I think just knowing yeah. that hope, seeing that hope makes all the difference. So, oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So it's a great program. And um, I know we, I, I believe we have one more year left. So definitely, I think they've already closed up applications for this year, but for uh, the following year, I know if anyone's interested in applying to Exito, um, look that up online because it's a great resource and a great network to be plugged into. Yeah, absolutely. Great points. They are really agree with you. It's important to have, you know, role models that are relatable, you know, that we can find a connection with. And um, it's a great point. Now I want to ask you a question. You've discussed a lot of, I know you have a real connection with populations, underserved populations really wanting to help, but what population or condition or, you know, public health problem are you most passionate about? Right. So I think, uh, you know, I've always been very particularly passionate about Latino children. And very early on, I think I was introduced to, um, you know, the obesity problem. And of course, I didn't even realize this until I was in, in a master's program, right? But, you know, you read about the disparities and then you start noticing and, and seeing like, oh, wow, there is there are issues here um, with, you know, the different foods that our Latino population has access to or the different places that they have to be active. You know, there aren't always safe places available to Latino children. So, so I'm very passionate about Latino childhood obesity prevention and of course, promoting healthy lifestyles, but also striving for health equity because I think um, equity should be available to everyone, you know, of all backgrounds and all areas. No one should be having, um, we shouldn't see disparities. It shouldn't exist, but yet we do. And a lot of times it's just due to the communities that we live in. That's definitely an area I'm passionate about, but I'm also very interested in looking at technology and how we can use technology to improve these health disparities. So, you know, there's just a lot of up and coming things. Um, There's big data, there's social media, there's all these tools. And, and yes, you know, there is to some degree still a um, digital and access to, you know, digital information gap. But I think we're seeing a lot of that gap begin to close. A lot of people, their primary mode of communication is mobile phones and and their primary mode of internet access is through a mobile phone. So I think that's just another area I'm passionate about. But also, um, you know, just really looking at the root causes of um, disparities. So uh, a lot of times it's children have suffered traumatic experiences early on. And so, you know, if that's the case, then they're definitely going to have difficulty at school. And if they're having difficulty at school, that, you know, of course, leads to more and more things. It's kind of a chain reaction of things, you know, higher dropout rates, lower graduation rates, poverty, healthcare, all those things kind of bubble up. And so understanding all those issues um, and how they impact our health, I think, you know, that's something I'm definitely passionate about. Yeah, I like that. It's great that you can articulate that so clearly. And I think that your role in, you know, the work that you do with um, Salute America definitely encompasses a lot of those passions, I think. You mentioned it early on, but I'd like to touch on a little bit more to make sure that the audience is understanding. Um, I know this is where you and I initially connected 
through um, Salute America. So can you just describe what that is? You know, just what is Salute America? Sure. No, absolutely. Salute America, as I mentioned, is they, um, we're a national Latino focused organization. And we focus on creating culturally relevant research as well as stories, videos, and different tools that can help to um, inspire people to either start or support a healthy change. So a lot of times, you know, as I mentioned throughout our conversation, we have systems in place and environments where they're not necessarily promoting the best health outcomes for our communities. So what we do is, is work to emphasize solutions and create solutions to where Latino children and families can equitably live, learn, work, and play. And what a lot of people don't quite realize is that um, the Latino population is growing very, very quickly. And pretty soon, one in three children in the U.S. will be um, of Latino origin or descent. And so we really need to be thinking about how we can work towards addressing the disparities that exist among the, this population. And then ultimately, we, we need to realize as a nation, I think, that um, this will impact the nation's health as a whole. And of course, not just Latinos, but you know, all minority groups and groups that suffer from disparities. So our mission at Salud America is to really drive community change and health equity for everyone. And then our vision is really all about um, leading the nation and in, in creating culturally relevant multimedia research, and um, different tools. So we have um, a group of curators. They um, actively, every day, they're looking for stories. They interview people from throughout the U.S. um, And then they share and highlight those stories as heroes and role models of individuals who are working to implement change of some kind. So we've done recently, we've focused a lot on ACEs or adverse childhood experiences and how schools can work to create a system and have a system in place that works to address traumatic experiences that children may have had. Um, A lot of times teachers aren't aware that, you know, a child is acting up because they're having um, issues at home. And how do you deal with that, you know, rather than like expelling or suspending a student, you know, how do you deal with that in in a way that that can actually sort of reverse the trend of of a lot of, you know, younger um, children of color being incarcerated or dropping out or having all kinds of issues. And so, so we work with um, heroes and role models that are interested in doing some kind of change in their community. And we develop tools, we craft messages, we craft um, what we call our action packs or toolkits to help people um, be able to act and, um, you know, send messages to their community leaders. Maybe in a situation like that, they can email the school principals, the school superintendent or the district superintendent. They can um, send out messages on social media, maybe put out flyers and and help communities really take action. So so that's kind of um, one of the initiatives that we do. Um, Our content reaches really more than um, 250,000 people across the U.S. We reach moms, dads, researchers, healthcare providers, and different community leaders. Um, people just interested in pushing for health equity in their community. And so Lead America is originally um, led by Dr. Amelie Ramirez. So she's a well-known health disparities researcher. Um, and she's also the leader and the founder of the Institute for Health Promotion Research at UG Health San Antonio. So we have a wonderful team um, in place of individuals, researchers, and content curators working to promote health equity. 
That's amazing. Now that leads perfectly into my next question, which is more specifically how we we met when you reached out to invite me to co-host the Tuesday tweet chat. So can you just tell the audience a little bit about that? Yes. So every Tuesday, one thing that we've um, worked on with Salud America over the last four years, we've held a weekly tweet chat called Salud Tues. So um, if you get on Twitter and you look up the hashtag Salud Tues, you'll find um, all kinds of great conversations taking place. Um, but every week we, we host a chat. It's um, an hour long starting at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you'll see that we collaborate with other co-hosts. And so we usually invite a two to three co-hosts, and we drive conversations during these chats. So we'll choose a different theme every week, depending on, you know, it could be content related to our, the themes that we cover with Salute America. So we have a very dynamic website with lots of information on how to create healthy communities and healthy families and schools. And, and so we try to focus on, on these themes, but you'll notice that we also cover, um, different depending on on the month. If it's like National Nutrition Month, we might touch on that topic. Um, But now, you know, we're also touching on on things like, uh, you know, providing housing, equitable housing and affordable housing to communities. Um, You know, how do we create cohesive cultures and how do we act um, against harmful rhetoric toward minorities or immigrant communities. And, and so there's a lot of bigger issues at play here too. Um, and so, so we're covering all of that with our tweet chats. Um, transportation is another area. But those are really great. Um, I really encourage the audience to check those out, to join us for a tweet chat. And if you're ever interested in suggesting a topic or um, co-hosting, we're always happy to collaborate. So definitely contact us. Yeah, I really I enjoy the experience. I typically enjoy tweet chats on Twitter anyway. That is just a way to really engage with thought leaders, to be exposed to a new topic, to share your opinions and, and feedback, and and for growing a network, too. So um, I definitely encourage everyone to at least explore the Salute Tuesday for just exposure and, and get involved and, and to experience it. Um, I will be linking to all of this in the show notes for this episode. So I know we're covering so much information and I don't want anyone thinking, oh, what did she just say about this? I want to check into that. There'll be links to it in the show notes and especially, you know, to participate in the tweet chat. I really think that would be a great opportunity for everyone to, to collaborate with others in the field, to learn about some of the research and all the information that, that's shared during the, those events. I am going to ask just one final question, if you don't mind. You've been so generous with all the information, um, and I really appreciate that. You know, of course, there are a lot of students who are listening to the podcast. I really want to address some of the students who may have already completed a degree in public health. Maybe they're recent graduates. They're trying to start their career in public health. You know, I've already earned a degree, or but just don't have experience. You know, sometimes students push and you know, to just get to the finish line and and complete the degree and then find that they're having a hard time getting into the position because they lack experience. So I wanted to ask you if you have some advice or some tips for recent graduates who are just trying to get started in the career of public health. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, I think the most important thing is um, definitely, of course, networking throughout your 
um, whether you're an undergraduate or if you're already um, in graduate school, you know, throughout that time, you should be networking and looking for, um, for organizations out there that, that you might see yourself at some point working for. Um, I think that's, that's really kind of where you want to start. I think connecting to those organizations is important, letting them know and be aware of you and who you are. Um, so I would really just start by identifying at least three organizations um, that you might be interested in working at, get to know the people, um, try to speak to the leadership and get the attention of the leadership, um, and then just kind of let them know about your your interests and what type of work, um, find out what type of work they're doing. I think that's a great place to start. Uh, another thing is, of course, a lot of students are doing practicums or internships. Um, so look for, for an internship with one of those organizations and, and make sure to make a good impression. Um, you know, definitely take the internship seriously. A lot of times you're not getting paid, <laughs> but, but even if, if that's the case, um, you know, make a good impression, treat it as if it were your own job. And, um, and it, you know, there might just be an opportunity after your internship's over, then you might just get hired. I've seen that happen numerous times. If there are networking events that you can attend or conferences, definitely get out there. Take your, I mean, I don't know if people are still using business cards, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, take something um, with you and you may, it doesn't have to be a business card maybe, but, but you know, definitely um, LinkedIn even is, is kind of, I think, you know, in, in this time and age, we're using a lot of LinkedIn and, um, and following people that way. But, um, that, you know, meet people, talk to people, get, get trained in different skill sets that can make you more marketable because that can definitely be a big plus. I mean, public health is a dynamic field that's always changing and, and there's always um, a lot of new um, skills that, that I think you can bring forward, whether it's, you know, if you get training in statistics, learn more programming, or, you know, if it's policy that you're interested in, try to you know, look for opportunities in that area. If, if you're really interested in health promotion and nutrition or, in, you know, even just kind of working with graphics or, or certain kind of hands-on skills that you can get, there's just, I mean, public health offers so much. So, um, so kind of be on a lookout for, for what kind of skill sets you want to build um, to be more marketable. And when it comes down to actually um, being, you know, interviewed, definitely display your enthusiasm because I think that can make all the difference if you show that you're passionate about this. And, um, and I think, you know, I've interviewed numerous candidates for jobs and I've, I've seen people with lots of experience, years of experience and, and on paper, they look great. But then when it comes down to interviewing them, it just doesn't come across as, as you know, that person would, it, a lot of times, you know, it, it may be a younger person with, with um, far less experience just because, you know, they come across as, as someone a lot more enthusiastic uh, about, um, you know, taking this on this kind of work and just seems to align better with our own goals and missions. And so, so, you know, it's something to be aware of. Definitely um, be prepared and always look for um, ways to enhance your communication skills because I think in any job in public health or any other position out there, communication's going to take you a long way. I mean, if you're a good speaker, a good writer, all those skills, you know, even if you communicate through graphics or through video, I mean, there's so many different mediums, but, but really at the end of the day, that's a lot of times how you're going to be 
um, able to network better and you're going to also be able to, it's going to serve you in reaching populations with more culturally relevant information and so on. So yeah. I think if I had to offer any advice, that would be it. I agree with that. And I'm really glad you added the the bit about communication. That really is important and also the enthusiasm. So, you know, don't hold back. I mean, you know, don't be scary <laughs> with your enthusiasm, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah, but, you know, but by all means, you know, don't be afraid to show that you really care about a topic or you care about a position or an opportunity and with communication and all the different ways that you can communicate, like you said, so many different mediums, but it's really an important skill to continually enhance. So great tips and advice. I really appreciate that. And I know my audience will as well. Also, you've been gracious enough to provide so many contact links to connect with Salute America, to connect with you, and also Dr. Ramirez. So I appreciate that. And I will include all of that information in the show notes um, for this episode as well. So thank you so much for taking the time and coming on this episode and sharing your journey and and really being so transparent. I think that helps people um so much. And I I really encourage others to do more of that, you know, really kind of pull back the veil and let people know what your journey is, you know, how you accomplish certain things. And it encourages people in so many different ways. So I appreciate you for doing that. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch for sure. Absolutely. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. I think it's a wonderful platform. And I'm so excited to hear from from people um, that you were podcast reaches and um, and I hope more and more students will share this podcast because I think it's a lot of people don't have access right off the bat to information like this and public health I think we're very willing to help each other out and um, and to share information like this so we need to continue doing that through platforms like this oh thank you for that too well you take care and uh, again be in touch soon looking forward to it thanks so much I'd like to thank Rosalie for being my guest on this episode and for sharing her public health journey and such great insights with all of us. The show notes page for this episode is filled with details, links to some amazing information regarding Salute America, and other resources that we discussed during the interview as well. There are also links to connect with Rosalie as well as Salute America. So this is episode number 87. Just visit drchuntley.com, and once you're there, click on the podcast tab, and then just navigate to episode number 87, which is the show notes page for this episode. All right, remember, if you like the podcast and you're benefiting from the information that I share on these episodes, then please take a moment and write a favorable review in iTunes. It really does help our show rise higher on the charts, making it much easier for others to find the show and it encourages me to continue producing these episodes. All right, everyone, until next time, have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast at drchuntley.com.